so much in his story. And today I just have a very simple message. Um, It's an adage that you may have heard. I didn't make it up, but it's one that's worth repeating and remembering. And it says, is it a good thing or a God thing? So that's a question today. Is it a good thing or a God thing? Have you ever done something that you thought was a very good thing and you even thought God was in it and was telling you or asking you to do it? And it made sense. It turns out it wasn't a God thing. And you knew that later, and you knew it when it was too late. Well, that's what happened in the story today. So just a bit of background. I'm in Genesis uh, 16. We're going to read. But in Genesis 15, as we've already discussed, God gave his covenant, his agreement with Abraham, who became the father of Israel, of the Jewish nation, and when, when he did that, part of that covenant was he promised Abraham, he said, I'm going to make you the father of a huge nation, and through that nation, the world is going to be blessed, and that person, that son that I'm going to give you is going to come from your own body, okay? Well, there was the promise, and time went on, and nothing was happening, and they were getting very old in age. I think by this time he was 86 years old by the time we come to Genesis 16. And um, sometimes the good things that we decide to do are a result of God has given me this dream, this promise, this desire, and I don't see anything happening with it, so I'm going to go ahead and step in and kind of help God out to see this thing along. And that's what's going on here with Abram's wife, Sarai. Their names had not yet been changed by this point. But there are other times where we just have this good idea. And we think it's a God thing, but it's only a good thing. It's not actually a God thing. But let's see what happened with dear Sarai. So Genesis 16, it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. Verse 2, Genesis 16, verse 2. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing Children. So there's the first problem right off is um, it the, she's putting the blame on God. God is uh, not coming through for me. He made this promise, uh, dear husband, that you're going to be a father and nothing has happened. I'm not getting pregnant and I'm an old lady. So she comes up with this solution. And here's the thing. It sounded good and it made sense. Most of the good things we try... We do it because it makes sense. And because it makes so much sense, we figure this must be a God thing. So she says, please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Man, oh man. Sometimes I need to probably put a disclaimer on some things I suggest to Dave, like, okay, disclaimer, honey, remember, Sarai, don't necessarily listen to me, <laughs> but I don't say that, and sometimes he says, yes, dear, maybe too much. Abram said, yes, dear, 
And he heeded the voice of Sarai. And it made sense. I mean, it was going to be Abram's child. It seemed like a good thing. Obviously, I'm not getting pregnant. I'm too old. Go into my maid and conceive a child by her. It seemed like a good thing, and it made sense. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar, and she conceived And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Then Sarai said to Abram, my wrong be upon you. Okay, so now her bright idea is now his fault. Now she's mad because it went all wrong. I gave my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. Well, that's a thing to say when it was your idea. So Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Now an angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring of the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall be counted for multitude. They shall not be counted for multitude. Genesis 16 verse 11, the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are with child. You shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be, note this, he shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Her son, Ishmael. Sarah's good idea, Sarah's good thing that was not a God thing because that Ishmael became the ancestor to the Arab nations that are fighting against the boy who would become his brother Isaac, who was the ancestor to the Jewish nation of Israel. And to this day, his hand is against every man that is on the side of the the living God. Um, So we see the trajectory there. We see the end result of having this great idea that was not God's idea, and we're the, we see how this is playing out on the world scene today. But the good news is, just an aside, the good news is our God is a redeeming God. And he says in the book of Revelation that he will redeem and is redeeming people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Every tongue, tribe, and nation. So there will be Arabs in heaven worshiping around the throne of God. Amen. That's the, that's the gospel that is universal, that is for every single person. But these ideologies that seek to uh, destroy those who worship the God of Israel, um, they are descended from this man, Ishmael, all because one woman thought that her good idea was a God idea. I remember uh, when... I met Dave. I had what I thought was a really good idea. I was on my way to India to be a single missionary. 
It was all planned out. I knew exactly where I was going and what I was going to be doing. I was up, I found myself on a stage at a big convention dressed in a sari. It was announced I was on my way to India. So when I met Dave, I said that to him. I knew he was interested in me, wanted to marry me, and I said, I'm sorry, I'm going to India to be a single missionary. Because it makes, it's a good, it's a good thing. It was a very good thing. And it made sense. I had come from a long line of missionaries. He thought, no, you're not. He didn't say it out loud because I wouldn't have believed him. But it was my good thing that was not a God thing. I, I was so serious about this. I had even started taking the, I still remember the dialect. I remember one line from the dialect I was learning. Say mane kawu chanti. It means they are working. In case you ever need to use that. So that was my good idea, but that it was not, it was a good thing, but it wasn't a God thing. And thankfully, eventually, I came to my senses and realized I was not supposed to be a single missionary in India. I remember after Dave and I were married, uh, here's another story. Good thing that wasn't a God thing. We came, I came up with this educational toy. I thought it was going to be the greatest toy in the world, and everybody would want this thing. I mean, I, we, were, we were starting to develop, a, in our, we were starting to come up with a plan to develop a prototype for this educational toy. We even met with a patent lawyer. He's not here, he, he, but he would tell you this. To this day, I think, what on earth were we thinking? We were clearly not called by God to invent toys. It's the weirdest thing. I look on back on that and I think, that, what? that was so weird. I can't even, but, but we seriously thought we had this good idea. We thought it was a God, a God idea, but it was not. It was not a God thing. It was a very good thing. It would have been a really cool toy. It was not a God thing. And down the road, we started pastoring this church, and I was convinced that we were supposed to move to Wellsburg. It would have been a good thing. I had a house picked out. I went by myself. Are you noticing a pattern here? <laughs> I went by myself with a realtor to look at this house in Wellsburg. Beautiful. I wanted this house so bad. I think I really just wanted the house. But I was convinced we're pastoring in Wellsburg. We should, at, we should obviously live in the village where we are pastoring. I went through this house by myself with a real estate agent. It was a good idea. It made sense. It made so much sense. It wasn't a God thing. It was a good thing, not a God thing. Eventually, thankfully, I came to realize that too. And now I know, now I know the reasons why God kept us where we are living now. So I could go on and on, and probably so can you, of all the good things you have attempted to do that were not actually God things. You see, when we pray this prayer, Thy will be done. Our Father who, out in, who art in heaven, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We actually need to mean that. We need to actually mean your will, not my will, not my good thing, not my grand idea. Your actual will be done in my life. And we have to mean that. So that if we can pray that and mean it, then when our good ideas fall apart and we don't get the house and we don't get the toys 
and we don't go on the mission trip, it's okay. Because I truly meant it when I said, and when I say every day, thy will be done. If we look, now remember, we're always connecting the dots. We're always going to go to the New Testament and land on Jesus every single time. How did Jesus approach this? Because you just think about it. Jesus was the most successful human being who ever lived, and he must have surely had so many good ideas, so full of wisdom. So how did he approach all of his good ideas? He said in John 6, 38, these are Jesus' words, John 6, 38, for I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Think about it. You think Jesus was a person of good will, of good intent? Surely Jesus' own will, his own will would have been very good, very altruistic, full of so many good ideas. And even Jesus said, I came down from heaven. I, he, he never stopped being God. You've got to get that straight. But he laid aside those divine privileges so that he could experience the flesh and blood that you and I live with every single day, submitting ourselves and our life to God the Father. He did it first to show us this is how you live. You approach every single day, Lord, I've come to this day not to do my will, not to follow my own good ideas, not to do my good things, but Lord, only to do your will. If Jesus said that, who, are, who am I to ever think that every single one of the good things I think I should do is a God thing that I actually should do? Matthew seven twenty one, sobering verse. Jesus said, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, that's surprising. Don't you think people who call Jesus Lord are probably his most devout followers who should end up in heaven? I mean, when you're saying Lord, you're saying you're my master. And yet Jesus is saying not every one of them is going to end up in heaven. That's sobering. And he goes on to qualify. But he that doeth the will of my Father, those will enter the kingdom of heaven. He that doeth the will of my Father. See, God has a will for you that so far surpasses your good ideas. All the things that you think make sense, God says, hey, it's not enough that it's a good idea and that it makes sense. It's got to be a God thing because he sees down the road. He knows exactly where he wants you, when he wants you there, and what he wants you to be doing and with whom. He already knows it. So we have to check our good ideas at the door every morning and say, not my will, but thy will be done. And Jesus showed us the way. John 5, 19. Jesus said this. John 5, 19, Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do. Think of that. Jesus only did what he saw the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son 
and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. Go back to verse 20 and look at that first line. There, right there, is the reason why you and I can trust that God's God thing is so much better than our good thing. It's right here. The Father loves the Son. When you know he loves you, when you know he loves you, you can trust his will. And you can take a risk in laying aside your good thing to wait for the God thing that he has for you because the Father loves you. That was Jesus' driving motivation, his driving force, his source. For the Father loves the Son. The Father loves the Son and the daughter. That is you and you and you, every single one of you. John, Jesus said in John 5.30, I can of myself, John 5.30, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will. It's just astonishing to me to, to, to just think about that. Jesus didn't seek his own will. Surely Jesus' will, his heart, his motives and intent must have been so pure and so perfect. And yet even Jesus said he did not seek his own will. So then why should I think that I should ever try to push my will through? It's amazing how we think, isn't it? Uh, where was I? John 30. I don't seek my own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. Another verse, John 4, 34. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. He said this because they were out ministering. It had been a long day. They were tired. His disciples came to him and said, hey, haven't you eaten yet? Like, you want us to go get you some food, Jesus? And he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. In other words, doing God's will is every bit as important. It is my very sustenance. It's my source. It's how I live. I will not ever be complete and fulfilled until I do God's will. And if you stay connected to him, you'll find out what it is. Another story. Uh, let's see. Matthew 26.10. I'm going to go to this verse. Matthew 26.10. But when Jesus was aware of it, Oh, yeah, Matthew 26, verse... Uh, let me just tell you what happens, and then we'll pick up and start reading. So in Matthew 26, for the sake of time, there, Jesus is gathered in a house, and this woman comes and anoints his feet with oil. She opens this very expensive, this alabaster box containing this, this essential oil. It's worth a year's wages. And she wastes, quote-unquote, the whole entire thing, anointing Jesus' feet with oil. His disciples are indignant... And they say, now I'm going to pick it up. When his disciples saw it, this is Matthew 26, verse 8. Matthew 26, 8. When his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, why this waste? Now, here comes their good idea. Here comes their good idea. Matthew 26, 9. For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. Was it a good idea? Yes, giving to the poor. Did it make sense? It would have made so much more sense. It's a year's wages. Sell that for all that money and give it to the poor. 
Jesus said in verse 10, Matthew 26, verse 10, when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For the poor you have always with you, but me you do not have always. In other words, there is always going to be a good idea in front of you. There is, <laughs> there is always going to be an idea that makes so much sense and sounds so right and so holy and so godly. I mean, what could be better than taking your most valuable possession and selling it and giving it to the poor? And Jesus, even Jesus in this instance is saying, that's a, God, a good thing, but it's not a God thing. You know what he's doing here? He's prioritizing the presence of God and he's pointing out this woman's love for me is paramount to anything you could ever give or do or serve to show that you love me. She's actually pouring out everything she has on me. She was essentially almost literally giving her life as a show of worship for Jesus. She was doing the God thing. They wanted to do the good thing. Mark 3.33, just a few more scriptures and I'm, I'm going to be done. Mark 3.33 uh, they came to Jesus and they said, hey, your, your mother and your brothers are out here. They're waiting for you. And Jesus said in Mark 3.33, who is my mother or my brothers? And he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my mother, my brother and my sister and my mother. In other words, if you want to be close to me, Jesus is saying, if you really want to be close to me, if you want to be mine, if you want to be closest to me, do the will of my Father. Do the God thing, not just the good thing. Romans 8.14 says, Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. If we listen, if we shut off the noise, if we sit with God every day, his Holy Spirit, the part of God that is here, invisible but so real and present, he will lead us into finding out what is that God thing that we are supposed to do. You might say, well, how do you know? Sometimes I don't know if it's a good thing or a God thing. Yeah? You can get that mixed up. I mean, I did. I think you go to the Word of God, you test it against the Word, but most good things we want to do will be, will be confirmed in the Word of God. The Word of God will confirm it. Yeah, that's a good thing, and it makes sense. So, so you then, you, you ask God for an inner witness. You ask God, give me peace about this. Help me to open my ears to hear what your Spirit is saying so that I'm not led by my own ambition and emotion. And then I think God's will will always be confirmed by the body of Christ, that is, by those around you that love him and want his will as well. We need each other. So you remember that time I was on my way to, in to India to be a single missionary? And this man got on his knees and asked me to marry him? I asked around. There was not a soul who said that was a bad idea. Not a soul. It was confirmed over and over and over. That is a God thing. 
Finally, let's go back to Sarah where we started, Sarai. Good old Sarai, Abram's wife. How did God look at her horrible, no good, very bad decision? Her good thing that wasn't a God thing. Does he write Sarah off? Does he throw her to the trash heap? Does he say, well, you messed up big time. I'm never going to do anything with you again. should have listened. You went on and did your own thing. Ruined everything. How does God respond when we do the good thing that wasn't actually a God thing and we really mess things up? Even for generations. If you go to the book of Hebrews... And you go to chapter 11, you don't have to do it today, but write it down and read it. That chapter is known in scripture as the Faith Hall of Fame, Hebrews 11. And right in there, tucked right in there in the Faith Hall of Fame, we see dear, dear Sarah. And her name has been changed from Sarai to Sarah, from princess to queen, because she has finally learned to hear God's voice, and to submit, her, to submit herself to will of God. And you know what it says in there? It says, by faith, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed, and she delivered a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. She judged him faithful. God didn't throw her aside. He didn't say, ah, no more chances. She did the God thing after all. And why could she finally learn to do the God thing and not just the good thing? She judged him faithful. So while you are sitting here, sitting on your good thing that might not be a God thing, is he faithful? How do you judge God to you? What kind of a God is he to you? Is he a faithful God who loves you and has your best interest at heart? He's in your corner. He only wants what's best for you. Do you truly believe in your heart that he will be faithful to let you know if you will listen and open up your life to him? Hey, that's a really good thing. I put that in you. I put that heart in you that loves and cares for people. That's a good thing but it's not a God thing. And if you'll trust me and wait for my God thing that I'm going to lead you into, it will be the most amazing thing you could never imagine. But I'm going to bring you into it, God says. If like Sarah, you will finally decide, God's faithful. God's faithful. I'd rather do the God thing than the good thing. Because a good thing will absolutely wear you out It will exhaust you. It'll make a wreckage of relationships. It will hinder your time with God. That should be the first clue that it's not a God thing. So many good things, good things will pull you away from God because you'll be so busy doing the good thing that's not a God thing. I know, speaking from experience. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for sending Jesus to show us the way. And like Jesus, Father God, we want to do your will and your will alone. So I pray that you would, with each of us, 
help us to surrender into your hands the very good things that we hold in our hearts, I pray that you would help us to surrender them and say, Father God, not my will, but thy will be done. Help me to start doing the God thing, not just the good thing. Show me what it is. And Lord, I pray for those here today who may not even know you yet. I pray that they would come to you and say yes. You are the one I need in my life. Yes, Jesus, you're all I've ever needed. And I give my life to you today. And I want you to start showing me that God thing that I'm supposed to be doing. Let it be so. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. And thank you, Lord, for this food.